What's up? How y'all doing today? Everybody good? All right, we're going we're gonna to start in Acts chapter 3 today. And, and uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're, uh, we're doing a series on the first seven chapters of Acts. And, and, uh, and we've decided to call that Diary of a Courageous Church because what, what goes on in the first seven chapters of Acts, Jesus, Jesus was on earth and, and he was crucified and he came back to life and then he hung around for about 40 days and then he goes back and all of a sudden the disciples are all by themselves when they've been used to having Jesus right there. And then Jesus had given them instructions, I want you to start my church. And so that's what they're doing. They're starting the church. And so what we're seeing in the first seven chapters of Acts are, is like a, a journal of the early days of the very first Christian church. And, and I hope you've, been, uh, hope you've been reading along with that, and, and uh, if you haven't, go ahead and get your Bible out this week and, and start reading through the first seven chapters. And if you have been, you know what's going to happen today in, in uh, chapter 3. Last week in chapter 2, we got to talk about how the Holy Spirit showed up at, 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 a, at a Jewish religious festival called Pentecost, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized in the clothes that they wore to church that day and, and, and showed up. And by the way, I keep talking about in the clothes they wore to church because to me that's just a miracle because if we had baptism right now and said, we're going to dunk you in the water and what you got on, some of y'all be like, man, I got to get these shoes off. I paid a lot. But those people didn't care. But of course now all they had on was like tunics and stuff. Maybe they didn't pay as much for theirs. But still, it's a pretty cool thing that they decided, I'm going to get dunked in what I showed up in and I'm going to ride home on my camel soaking wet. That's what they, that was the deal and it was pretty amazing. And, uh, and so we're continuing that story, uh, that, that series and, and the story about that. And, and I heard a story in the news just a couple of weeks ago. And I know I don't think like all of you do. And, and when I tell you this story, you're going to say, why did that remind you of what we're talking about here? But uh, I heard a story, and, and maybe you heard it too, about a lady who went to McDonald's in Spartanburg. There's a, a McDonald's in Spartanburg. She goes there, and in the parking lot, a dude pulls up, two guys pull up in a Chevy Impala with no hubcaps. Dude jumps out. He's got a gold tooth. He cracks open the, uh, the, uh, the, the trunk of that Impala, shows the lady some boxes, and he says, I bought some iPads here. I got a really good deal on them. And I can sell you one for 300 bucks. She says, all I got in my pocket is $180. Now, here's the first lesson in to not be dumb file, okay? You don't ever just tell some stranger how much money you're toting around, all right? You just need to let them not know all that information. She says, all I got is $180. He said, cool, I'll sell it to you for $180. She proceeds to hand him all the cash that she has, $180. He hands her a box. They take off. She goes home, doesn't open the box till she gets home. And when she opened the box when she got home, there was not an iPad in there, but there was a piece of wood in the shape of an iPad with an Apple logo stuck onto it, right? Now, at my house, we have a little saying that I tell my girls when stuff like this happens, and the saying is, it's bad to be dumb. And I told them, and when this happened, I got my girls around and I said, let me tell you this story. It's bad to be dumb, right? And personally, I don't think, I, if they arrest those guys, they ought to also arrest that lady, for, because that's just, she's just too dumb to be walking around. They need to throw her in jail too. But here's the thing. So, so other than the fact that, that if, if, you know, other than the moral of the story being, if you're in a McDonald's parking lot and a dude with a gold tooth and a Chevy Impala with no hubcaps offers to sell you an iPad, don't buy it. Other than that, here's what I thought about as it has to do with what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings. Is that as we read through the first seven chapters of Acts, it would be easy for us to read this and think that, 
it was easy for these guys when they were starting this new church. Because just stuff, start, just stuff happens, man. The Holy Spirit shows up, and what we're going to read today, it just seems like they were just walking around, and God was doing stuff and all that kind of stuff. But as we continue to read through the, the Scripture, what you're going to see is, is that starting this new church, doing what Jesus wanted them to do, required great sacrifice. That it didn't come cheap. And if you're going to buy an iPad, you're not going to get it for $180. It's going to cost you at least 500 bucks and up. That's how much they go for. And, and you don't get anything cheap. And the same thing goes for when we're following Jesus and we're wanting to serve Him. It's going to require some sacrifice. It's going, to, it's going to take us sometimes giving up what we naturally want to do. It's going to take us putting the interests of others ahead of ourselves. It's going to take us, most of all, reading the Scripture and trying to follow it, even when it's uncomfortable for us. And so when we, if we want to do church here the way they did church back then in the book of Acts, it's going to require some sacrifice on our part. So as I heard that story, that just came into my mind. And, and, and I want us to keep that in mind as we continue to read through this and understand that, yeah, God did some great stuff and it seems like it was just kind of easy for them, but it required great sacrifice. And, and what we're not going to get to in this series, but what you need to understand is these guys that, that did all this stuff, these 11 disciples of Jesus, the ones that were left after Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, that every single one of them except for one paid with their lives. They all were executed because of what they did. And the one that wasn't executed, he was exiled to live on an island all by himself. And that's the, that was the, the payment they got for following what Jesus wanted them to do. But because of their sacrifice, we're here today. Because of their sacrifice, there's a church that meets in a movie theater over in Spartanburg called Hub City Church that's celebrating their third birthday today. And so it takes sacrifice to do what God wants you to do. All right. It's a long intro. Let's jump into Acts chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to read the first eight verses uh, to begin with, and, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll stop as we read. So Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, look at that. If not, look on the screen. So remember last week was Pentecost, 3,000 people saved, all this kind of stuff. Here, a little bit of time has passed between then and, and this story. We don't know exactly how much time, and it starts off like this. One day, Peter and John we're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And let me stop there real quick. One of the things that's interesting about this story is, is that Peter and John were going through their normal routine of life. You're going to see what happens in a minute, the opportunity that God gives them. But they didn't wake up in the morning and have on their schedule, hey, we're going to heal a guy and preach the gospel and more people are going to get saved. They just said, we're going to go to the temple at 3. That's what we do every day. And so as they're in their normal routine of life, God gives them an opportunity to, 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 to obey him and to minister for him. The same thing happens for you and me. God will give you an opportunity to minister for him in your everyday life if you just will open your eyes and see it. Verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Here's what you need to know about people in that time and place. When they were born with some type of handicap, if they were born crippled or born blind or anything like that, in that day and age, when you were born that way, the people assumed that you were cursed by God. They, they thought that there was some huge sin 
in, in the life of your parents and the life of you that God would say, you're going to come into this life and you're not going to be able to walk or you're not going to be able to see. In fact, there's a great story in the book of John where Jesus heals a guy who's blind, and after the guy was healed who's blind, he starts lecturing the Pharisees, which was awesome, and the Pharisees look at him and say, who are you to talk to us like this? You were steeped in sin at birth. In other words, you were so sinful at birth that God cursed you and made you blind. Here's what the Pharisees didn't realize and what we need to realize. We're all steeped in sin at birth. We're all messed up at birth. And so, so, when, so when this guy here, he can't walk, people would walk by him all day and they would look at him as if he was not just a second-class citizen, but they would look at him not even as if he was really even human. And I think it's awesome that, that Luke just throws in there, just for us to know, that the name of the gate in front of where he was sitting, look at the name of the gate was called. The gate was called what? Say it out loud. Beautiful. You see, the, you see what's going on here? You've got this gate that's called beautiful because it was beautiful in the way it was designed. It was the, one of the prettiest places to enter the temple from. And there's a guy laying here at the gate that's called beautiful, and people think he's cursed by God. So look what happens next. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He's thinking, sweet, they're going to drop some bills my way, right? Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. And he thought, well, why am I even wasting my time here laying at this gate? But then what happens next? But what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. One of the things that, that we're going to have to learn to do if, if we want to follow Jesus the way that he wants us to, if we want to be the kind of church that he, wait, the, that he wants us to be, is we've got to begin to give what's needed. We have to give what's needed. See, what I love about this story is that Peter and John are walking by and the dude asked them for money. They don't have any money. So Peter could have ignored it. Or he could have just walked by and said, man, we all broke and just kept on going into church, Right? And, uh, but, but what he did instead was, as Peter realized, I don't have what he's asking for, but I've got what he really needs. And see, we've all got something that we can give. You might not be in the position where you feel like you can give a lot of money, but, but you've got gifts and you've got skills and you've got things that you can do that you can give. You've got time that if you manage it differently, you've got, got time that you can give. And we've got things that we can give. And then the most important thing that we have that we can give is we can give people the truth of the gospel. We can tell them the story of Jesus. Because that's what this guy really needed. See, when, when he asked for money, he was asking for money because money was easy to ask for. What he really needed was he needed to be healed. He needed to be healed so he could walk. But that would have been hard to ask for because people would have thought he was crazy and he'd have felt stupid. If he'd have just laid there day after day and said, hey, yo, I need to walk. Somebody help me walk. Somebody hook me up with some new legs. People would have really ignored him then. But instead, he could ask for money, and he might get a few bills thrown his way, and then he can pay some of his stuff and, you know, buy an iPad for $180 in a McDonald's parking lot or whatever he wanted to do with it, right? He could, and he could do that kind of stuff with that because money was easy to ask for. Now, before we go on any further, 
I don't want you to walk away from here and, and think that I'm telling you that just because you can give what's needed and you don't necessarily have to give money, that you're not responsible to also give money. Because here's the difference between Peter and John and us is we ain't broke. And I know you're saying, hey, Cliff, you ain't seen my checkbook. But listen, Peter was broke, broke. Peter was broke like he didn't have anything. Here's the kind of broke that most of us are as Americans. We're broke. We got a couple of cars in the driveway that we're making payments on. We got two HD TVs in our house that we're paying for those extra channels every month. We got iPads. We're spending more at Starbucks every week than my grandparents used to spend on groceries every week. And then we, at the end of the month, we say, man, I wish I had some extra money to give you, but I am broke. No, we ain't broke. We just are spending our money on other things. But Peter was broke. And so we also have the responsibility, we are supposed to give money. We are supposed to do that when it's, when, it's, when it's helpful. But here's the thing, sometimes giving money for us is easier than giving really what's needed. It's hard to tell somebody about Jesus. It's hard to rearrange your schedule and spend time helping someone when you could be just doing something that you want to do. Those things are hard to do. Sometimes it's easier for us just to write a check. Just to say, man, I ain't got time, but I can scrounge up $100 this month and give to this charity or give it to the church or give it to whoever. So we, we need to be sure that, that as we're making sure that we're giving what's needed, that we are responsible to give money, but that we all also are supposed to do the hard things, that we're supposed to give what's really needed, and what's really needed is Jesus. Because we're surrounded by people who are just like this guy that was laying here at the temple gate called Beautiful. I don't know if he really understood what his real need was. He got there that morning and thought he needed some money. And Peter and John said, no, what you really need is you need to be touched by Jesus. And you're surrounded by people where you work. You're surrounded by people where you, where you live and where you play and where you hang out that, that they think that they need some more money or they think that they need a better house or they think that they need uh, a, you know, a nicer car or they think they need all this stuff. But what they really need is Jesus. And we can give them what's needed if we'll take the time to figure that kind of stuff out and to talk with them. Now here's the second thing that I want us to look at. Look at Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read 9 through 23 now. 1 through 8, we talked about give what's needed. And look at what happens next in the story. Acts 3, 9 through 23. So the guy's been healed. He's hooting and hollering and jumping up and down like all of us would if all of a sudden we could walk when we couldn't walk before. Look what it says here in verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So this created a scene. People are running. They're showing up. What is going on? We want to get over there. We want to see what's happening, right? When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, 
This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now check out what Peter does there again, just like we talked about last week. Does Peter back off of what the truth of the gospel is? Does he say, hey, you know, it's, Jesus is pretty cool, but there's some other pretty cool people? No, what does he say? He says, Jesus is the only way, and y'all killed him. I mean, again, Peter is in your face. Peter's kicking people in the gut with this, with this message. Y'all killed Jesus. Y'all are responsible for this. And just like I said last week, let me remind you that all of us have sin that we're dealing with, and it's our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. So when Peter says, you killed Jesus, he could be pointing the finger directly at us the same way because it's our sin that sent Jesus to the cross for us. So look what happens next. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Second thing that I think we can take away from this scripture today and from what Peter just told the crowd that he gathered there is this. The gospel covers every area of our life. The gospel covers every area of our life. What does gospel mean? Say it out loud. Good news. Good news. And the good news is is that Jesus died for our sin. The good news is is that we don't have to try to deal with our sin by ourselves. The good news is is that after Jesus was killed and he was buried, that he came back to life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And, And the fact that the gospel covers every area of our life, that's why we can always give what's really needed. We might not can give what somebody's asking for, but we can give them what's really needed. Because, see, money's going to run out eventually. Our, our ability to do things eventually is, is going to run out. You're, you're gonna, sometimes there might be things you can do at one point in your life that you can't do at another point in your life. That kind of stuff runs out. But what never runs out is the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We can continue to give that. And the gospel is what's really needed. And the gospel covers every area of our life. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 19. Look at, look at what Peter says that they're supposed to do. And I want to spend a couple seconds on this and then get to the, the part I'm talking about, about how it covers every, every area of our life. What does Peter say in verse 19? What's the very first word? Say it out loud. Say it again. Repent. Repent then and turn to God. That's exactly the same thing Peter said in Acts 2.38. Remember last week, we were talking about the day of Pentecost, and it got to verse 2.37, and the people were so excited about what Peter was saying that they said, what should we do? What are we supposed to do about this message you're giving us? And Peter, what was the first thing he said then? He said, repent and turn to God. That's what he told them then in Acts 2.38. He's saying the same thing here, repent. Now, what does repent mean? Repent means to turn around and go another direction. Repent means to to give up an old way of living and turn to a new way of living. When uh, when I was in college, I had this friend of mine uh, who was a huge Clemson fan. I mean, obnoxiously 
orange Clemson fan was what he was, right? I mean, he was, he went, we went to college down in Charleston, and he didn't go to every single game, but more often than not, if Clemson was playing at home, he's leaving school for the weekend, and he's driving up to, to Death Valley, and he's going, and, you know, and he would play Tiger Rag and his, and his, uh, in his room and all that kind of stuff. And he was, he was such a big Clemson fan that, remember, this was back in the days before the internet where, where you didn't get news as fast as you do now. That the day Danny Ford was, was getting booted out of Clemson, he was the first one I heard it from. I walked into the quad and he was up there and he said, you'll be happy to know Danny's getting pushed out at Clemson. And I was like, yes, that's awesome, right? As a Gamecock fan, I was excited about that because he kicked our tail every year. And so that's what, that's what this guy was. He was a huge Clemson fan. Now, after we graduated from college, I lost track of him and didn't know where he was and, and all that kind of stuff. Several years after we had graduated, he moves to Greer. And so I'm like, cool, man, this guy that I knew in college is, lives in Greer now. So I called him one day, and we got together for lunch, and I went and met him at his office and we, so we could ride together and eat lunch. When I got to his office, I walked in, and everything in there was orange, but it was a, a lighter shade of orange than it used to have been. And instead of having tiger paws everywhere, there was the letter T was all over the place. And, uh, yeah, that's right. And, and there wasn't music playing, but if it had, had been music playing, I'd assume it was going to be Rocky Top instead of Tiger Rag. And somewhere in the, the years that, that we had, had spent apart from each other, he had decided that he was no longer a Clemson fan. He had decided he was a Tennessee fan. And, man, just as, just as much as he was just all into Clemson, now he's all into Tennessee. And he was driving to Knoxville about every weekend and going to ball games and all this kind of stuff. And so he had been going one direction of his life, and then he turned and he went another totally different direction. Now that's a silly example, but that's, that's what in my mind when I think of when it comes to repentance, that's what, that's what Peter's talking about. That you're going one way in your life. You're living your life a certain way. You're living your life by a set of rules. You're going one way and you're living for you and you're living for, your, for, for, for what, what's on your front burner and, and for what makes you happy and you're doing all this stuff. And then when Jesus comes into your life, you don't keep going that direction. But what you do is you turn away from an old way of life and you turn to a different way of life. And that's what when Peter says, repent and turn to God. See, repentance isn't just turning away from one thing, it's also turning to something else. And so the, the message of Acts 2.38 and the message here in, in Acts chapter 3 and the message that you see all through the New Testament is when you come to Jesus, you cannot continue to live like you used to live. See, this whole deal where people want to one of this, you know, we live in a, in a society where the, the, the it's all good society. You heard that statement, it's all good. When it, comes to, when it comes to truth and when it comes to religion, it's not all good. You, you, can't, you can't live one way and say, you know, I kind of like the, the Muslim deal, but hey, I think, I'll, I think I'll take a few pieces of this Christian deal over here too, and I think I'll take a few pieces of, of, uh, of the universalist deal because that's just whatever you want to make it up to be. And you, know, and you can just do all this different stuff. It's not all good. We have to, it's over and over again in Scripture. The message is, if you're going to accept Jesus, you accept Him completely. And you totally give up the other stuff. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? No, we're going to struggle. We're, we're still going to make some mistakes. 
But the idea is, is that you are consistently pursuing the new way of life. You've left the old way of life behind, and you're consistently pursuing the new way of life. You might make a mistake today, but you consistently continue to pursue the new way of life. And so then tomorrow, you probably will make less mistakes than you made today. And then you consistently pursue the new way of life, and you'll probably make less mistakes that day than you did the day before. And that's the way it goes. And pretty soon, you are so much closer to Jesus, who has given you the new way of life, than you, than you are to the old way of life that you lived for years and years and years before you heard the gospel, before you met Jesus. See, the gospel covers every area of our life. Look at, look at the rest of verse 19 and 20. This is, what, this is what I'm talking about when I say this. Here's the three things that Peter says that the gospel does for us. He says, repent then and turn to God. And here's the three things. So that, number one, your sins may be wiped out. Number two, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And number three, that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. First one, that your sins may be wiped out. See, that's our main problem, is that we're, we're sinful. We do stuff for us. We're selfish. We, we don't want to live the way the Bible tells us. We want to live the way we want to live. We don't care what anybody else thinks. And, and the Scripture says that all of us have sinned, and you know that. I don't have to convince you of that. You know what's deep down in your heart. You know sometimes you have hatred in your heart towards people and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't have to convince you of that. But here's what the Scripture says is that the death of Jesus can wipe those sins out, that your sins may be wiped out. You know what the word there that, that's used, that, 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 that Peter uses when he says that it may be wiped out? You know what the more literal meaning of that is? Obliterated. Your sins may be blown to pieces, completely removed from you. It, it's kind of like, uh, like in, in Psalm 103 when, when King David talked about king david said that that god has removed my sins as far as the east is from the west that's how far god can take your sins and remove them away from you he can wipe them out so that's the first thing that the, the gospel covers our sin which for a lot of us that that's the way we've lived so long so that's that's our past that's what we've been now what else does he do the second thing is is that not only may our sins be wiped out but it says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, not only does our sin deal with our past, but it deals with our present. It deals with your day-to-day -day life. When, um, I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget this. We, we trust in the fact that our sin's been forgiven, that what we used to do, that's been forgiven and we trust in the fact that one day we're going to have a home in heaven. It's just this in-between time here that's got us all out of whack. It kind of reminds me of Southern gospel music. And you know, now, don't be embarrassed. I'm not going to make fun of you to your face. But uh, how many, no, I'm just kidding. How many of you really like Southern gospel? Raise your hand up. You don't, don't be embarrassed. I like it sometimes. I know Mark King is a huge Southern gospel man. And Southern gospel music, here's what's funny about it. If you've ever listened to it, is... Uh, most, no, not all, I, I know not all because I'm going to say this and then like y'all Southern Gospel people are going to come here like with a list of songs at the end of the service. But most Southern Gospel music deals with one or two things. It either deals with being with Jesus in heaven one day or him coming back, you know, the future. Or it deals with the day you got saved and when the love of Jesus came into your life. It, it deals with those two extremes. There's not a whole lot of Southern Gospel songs about what's going on today, about going to work and there's just not a lot about that there's there's more i mean there's some but there's more about the future 
and there's more about the past. You know, you, have this, you got those great future Southern guys like Midnight Cry. I'm gonna, and, and listen, y'all don't know this, but I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. Our man Chris Roberts, who sings up here every Sunday morning, he used to sing with an ensemble group back in college, and he would bust out Midnight Cry that would have people weeping in the aisles. I mean, I'm, I'm not lying to you. So, I don't know, Chris, maybe one Sunday we want to do a Southern Gospel Sunday morning, right? You know, and I can wear a... I can wear a suit with a pocket square and have my hair slicked back. And, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Don't wait on that to happen here, right? But, but you know, the, you got all that stuff. But, but the, the middle part, they don't deal with. And sometimes that's how we live our Christian life. It's like we can remember, yeah, I got saved that time, man. And not only did I get saved, I followed, I followed the, the instructions of Scripture and I got baptized. And so that was awesome. And, and one day I believed that because all that happened, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and I'm going to go to heaven and that's going to be great. But this right here in the middle really is terrible and I hate my boss and, and I need a new job and I don't like where I live and my kids are getting on my nerves and I'm kind of looking for a new husband or wife. And, and you got all this stuff in the middle that you don't know how to deal with anymore. But what does Peter say that the gospel does for us? Not only does it wipe out our sins from the past, but it says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He doesn't want you to live as if you got saved and you're just holding on till heaven gets here. No, He wants you to live victoriously and that He's going to give you refreshing day in and day out. If we'll ask Him for it, if we'll look in the Scriptures for it, some days are going to be harder than others. I'm not telling you that if you accept Jesus that it's all just easy from there on out. But there should be a joy in our life as followers of Jesus. When you sit around with a group of people who have been saved by Christ, they should be the most joyful folks you've ever been around. In fact, sometimes they should get on your nerves because they're happy about stuff they shouldn't be happy about. But sometimes as Christians, we can be some of the most negative people around. And we can complain with the best of them. But Peter says that the gospel covers every area of our life. It covers our sins of the past by wiping them out. And it gives us times of refreshing today. And then the other thing that it does for us, look at the rest of that verse. After the times of refreshing of the Lord, look at verse 20. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. See, the truth is Jesus is coming back one day. Now, he's either coming back if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're either going to die and he's going to come back for you individually and take you home to heaven, which is going to be great. Or if, if you live long enough to see it, he's going to come back and he's going to take his followers then. And, and you remember the first time that he came? Uh, he came as a baby and he showed up in a manger in a little town and not a lot of people knew about it. And, and he was really, you know, he was a baby and, and he was dependent on his parents and all that kind of stuff. The second time he comes back, the scripture says he's coming back as a conquering warrior. And he's going to come back with a sword in his hand and he's going to be taking everybody out that has rejected him. So if, if you're living life saying, I don't have to accept Jesus, it'll all come out in the wash. It's going to come out, but it's not going to come out the way you want it to. Because Jesus will come back and he's going to take his believers home and everyone else is going to have to suffer a judgment that they don't even want to think about. Now, those are the three things that the gospel covers for us, which is everything. It covers our past, it covers our present, and it covers our future. So, so what, we have to, 
what we have to deal with is, is we have to, to figure out of where we are in that, in that process. Have, have you had your sins blotted out? Have you had them wiped out? Or are you still living in them? Have you accepted Jesus and, and asked for that forgiveness that He can give you? Or, or maybe you have and you're in the present and you just you hate the present. And you, you don't have those times of refreshing from the Lord. Or, or, or maybe you're, you're looking so far to the future that, that you don't even realize what's going on around you. Um, I want to have a time for us to respond. And, and um, my wife is going to come up here and play, play a little bit on the keyboard. And, and, uh, because this is what I want you to, to start thinking about. It's just where you are in that, in that timeline. If the gospel covers every area of, of, of our life, is it covering, what area of your life is it covering? Maybe it's not covering your past. Maybe, maybe you've got your past covered, but you're not allowing it to cover your present because you're, you're just living like, you know, you're not living victoriously. You're not living joyfully like the scripture talks about. And uh, as I was going through my notes this morning, um, I came across a, a verse where um, the ending verse that I wanted to end the message on, and it's different than, than what I had expected to end on. I want you to go back to the, the beginning of Acts 3 and look, at, look back at, at verse 7. So, because, see, we've got to respond to the gospel. And, and it, in this story... Peter and John are in the temple and, and, and Peter looks at this guy and he says, I don't have any money, but what I've got, I'm going to give you. And then look at what it says in verse 7. Now Peter's already said in verse 6, walk. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, when did the guy's feet and ankles become strong? It wasn't until he had already had enough faith to give Peter his hand and say, all right, I'm going to let you pull me up. And either you're going to pull me up and my feet and ankles, are, are they're not going to get strong and, and it's not going to happen the way you said and I'm going to fall on my face out here in front of everybody, but I got enough faith that I'm going to give you my hand and I'm going to allow you to pull me up and I got enough faith that God's going to do what you said He's going to do and that when you pull me up, I'm going to be able to walk. And that is exactly what happened. That when, when the truth of the gospel combined with the faith of this crippled man on the ground, when the two of those things came together, that Peter pulls him up and instantly God fulfilled the promise that he said he would do. I said I would make you walk again, and now you can. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but maybe you're in a situation to where people have been telling you the promises of God. They've been telling you the scripture and you're here today and you're hearing me talk about it. And it all sounds good and it all sounds like things you need. But you think, I just don't know if it's going to happen. The only way you're going to find out if God can be faithful to do what He said He's going to do is you've got to take the step. You've got to reach out your hand and you've got to allow Him to pull you up. And you've got to allow Him to make your life strong into what it's supposed to be. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to ask Donnie and, and, uh, and Chris and Blake, three of our staff, they're going to come down here and stand at the front.
and uh, and they're going to be standing down here right now. And this is this is what I want you to do. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna pray, and when I'm done praying, if you need to respond to anything, if 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 you're sitting here today and you say, man. I, I need to be forgiven of my sin. I'm here today and I'm hearing what Cliff's saying and it's speaking to me and I don't understand how it all works. You come down, you grab one of these guys and, and you just ask them to explain that to you and to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm already a follower of Jesus, but I need those times of refreshing that you talked about. Then you can grab one of these guys and they'll pray or you can just kneel down on your face right here and pray. But whatever needs to happen in your life, don't allow the opportunity to slip by today. So this is what I want us to do. I want everybody to stand up right where you are. Stretch out your legs. And if you need to take that first step towards Jesus, you take it right now after I'm done praying. Let me pray and then you come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you've given us a reason to gather here today. And God, thank you that you are in the business of taking weak, crippled people like us and healing us and and bringing us back to what we're supposed to be. And so, Father, I pray today that if there's anybody here that just came in defeated and broken down, that, that they would find the hope that they need today. Lord, that you would give them the strength that it takes to take that first step give their lives to you and father for those that already are your followers but but they came in and they're they're just not happy with their life that that you would refresh them today that today would be a time of refreshing for them do what only you can do lord we trust you for that and we ask this in jesus name amen you come on now i want to give you just a few minutes to deal with god come pray or come talk to one of these guys